Hey, church family. Hope you're all doing well and, and staying safe and healthy. So good to be with you again, even if it's virtually, that's okay. It's good to be able to know that we're, uh, even though we're separated, there are Christians all around the world and, and even in our body who are meeting together and worshiping together uh, this morning and today and just thankful to be able to have this avenue to be able to worship God together, even in the midst of everything that's going on. Do want to let you know we are still meeting outside for the time being. At some point, we're going to move inside, and we have a plan in place for when we uh, when we eventually do that. Obviously, the weather's turning and changing, getting a little bit cooler, and so we're going to have to. Uh, go inside at some point, but for the time being, we are still meeting outside. We've moved our time back. We were meeting at 9.30. We are now meeting at 10.30 in the morning, and so we hope that you'll join us. Obviously, you're not this morning because you're watching online virtually, or maybe you're watching it this afternoon, uh, but we're glad that you are watching with us, and if you want to come and join us and worship with us outside, we would love to have you, but again, as I've talked about, I know not everybody's comfortable with that yet, and so we understand that. We still love you and care about you, and uh, want to find a way, and this is the way that we have uh, found that we can still be able to get together and feel like we are a community together, worshiping together. And so we're glad, whether you're outside with us or when we move inside or uh, if it's virtual, whatever avenue you're, you're watching or joining us, we are just glad to have you with us and glad to worship God together this morning. And I heard a story about a about three guys who were at a funeral. One of their friends had passed away and it was a beautiful service, and afterwards at the luncheon, afterwards the three friends were talking about what just a, an, a great service it was, and, and one guy said, you know, that was such a powerful service, and it got me thinking about what I'd like to have said at my funeral when I pass, and you know, I, I've devoted a lot of my time to my medical practice, and, and so I hope that people would, would say something about that, that they'd say just what a difference he made in, in people's lives, and, and the lives that he helped save, and help influence, and help impact in that way, and Second guy said, you know, that's, that's awesome. And, and, you know, I was a school teacher and I hope people would, would talk about that in my life and, and the young lives that I helped shape and, and influence and how they've gone on to do great things because, you know, at least in part because of the influence that I had on their lives. And the third guy thought about it for a second and he said, yeah, those are, those are great things and all, but at my funeral, I hope they say, look, he's moving. Well, we are in the midst of a series where we're walking through the book of James, and James is talking to us about a faith that works. And I mean that in a couple of different ways. A faith that works is in its, its living, it's active, it's moving, uh, but also it works practically. It, it makes a difference in our lives. And, and James is moving us beyond just this surface level profession of, of faith, beyond just this belief or knowledge about faith, and into a faith that actually works. It does something. It's, it's living and active. People look at your faith and they say, look, it's, it's moving. It's, it's not dead, but it's alive and it's making a difference in your life and in the world around you. You know, I think for most of us, and this is true not just when it comes to our faith, but I think this is true in, in a lot of areas of our lives. But for most of us, the problem often isn't a problem of, of information or a problem of, of belief the problem is often action. It's often putting those beliefs and that information into action because until I do something with my beliefs and with that information, it doesn't really matter. And you can have the best of intentions. You can have the right heart and, and the most sincere beliefs. You can have the most detailed information, but if you don't do something with it, it doesn't do any good. And that's what James is going to talk to us about when it comes to a faith 
that works when it comes to our faith. That, that many of us, we, we, we feel really good because we've got the belief part down. And we've filled our minds with the right information. We may even feel the right things. But the question is, have you done something with it? What, what, what are you doing with those beliefs and those feelings and those emotions and with those words that you say and with that information? Because if you haven't done something with it, then, then it doesn't really matter. And this book, and, and specifically this passage that we're going to look at today, is going to challenge us to do something with our faith. But before we get into the passage, I, I, there's a couple of things that I want to uh, make sure that we understand. First, James is writing this to an audience of people who already believe. He's not writing to bring people to the point of belief. Instead, he's challenging people who already believe to live out what they believe. And, and that's going to impact how he speaks to this audience. It's going to impact how we understand what he's writing and, and who he's writing to. That's why it's important to understand these verses that we're going to read today, not just in the context of the book of James, but really in the context, the total context of Scripture as a whole. Because if you, if you just take this section of, of James and you just read it exclusively, you, know, you don't include any other context of any other scriptures in James or in the New Testament, it can lead to some dangerous conclusions. So to help us kind of think through this and, and kind of give us a mental picture of this, I, I just want you to imagine that there's a pendulum. And so on one side of the pendulum, you've got belief. And on the other side of the pendulum, you've got works. Now, what oftentimes happens is that the pendulum gets swung too far in one of those two directions, either towards works or, or towards belief, and things can get out of balance. When the pendulum swings too far towards works, we call that legalism. And much of the New Testament written by the Apostle Paul is written to combat that idea and to, to refute that idea of legalism and address that problem in the church. And, and so legalism is... Basically, just to give you kind of a, a simple description of it, legalism is, is basically the idea that following God is about a list of rules. It's about do's and don'ts. That's really the basis of it. It's all about rule keeping and, and, and doing the do's and not doing the don'ts. And, and this idea that we're saved by our good works, that, that we earn God's salvation, that we earn his love by being good enough. And if we do enough good, then... That's what's going to get us into heaven. Now, obviously, that's not what the Bible teaches. That's clearly not what the Bible teaches. But on the flip side, in an effort to get away from, from legalism, that idea of salvation by works, some have, have swung to the opposite end of the pendulum. And there's a phrase that I think captures this idea well. It's, it's called easy believism. I didn't come up with that. It's, I can't remember who came up with it, but it's called easy believism. And easy believism is basically the idea that as long as you believe, it doesn't really matter how you live. It doesn't really matter what you do. It doesn't really matter what kind of choices you make or the life you lead, as long as you believe. And so for those who have swung the pendulum of faith over here towards easy believism, they, they just kind of discount the importance of a lifestyle. They, 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 most of the time we don't discount it completely, but, but we say, well, it, you know, it doesn't really matter what you do as long as you believe. As long as you believe in Jesus, you know, that's enough. And while Paul, in, in many of his books, for instance in Galatians, writes to address legalism, James, here in the book of James, is writing to address this, this easy believism, this idea that as long as I believe, it doesn't really matter how I live. These, these people had become very comfortable with separating their beliefs from their lifestyle. 
and he wants to push the pendulum back. He wants to get some, some balance. And to be honest, I think this is a message that we need to hear because it seems to me that we live in a time and a day and age where, where many have come, become quite comfortable. Well, as long as I believe, then, then that's all that really matters. That, that's enough. Many have become quite comfortable with claiming one belief, but then living in a way that doesn't necessarily reflect that belief. As one article I read put it, surveys reveal a nation where most claim to be religious, but few take their faith seriously. We live in a world and in a nation, the article says, where almost everybody claims to be religious in some way, and yet few take that faith seriously. But having said that, I also want to be careful as James pushes the pendulum toward action that we don't let it swing too far, that we don't slip into that legalistic mindset of the religious leaders of Jesus's day that put all the emphasis on, on what you do and on being good enough to earn God's salvation, somehow earn God's salvation, because that's, that's not good either. The Apostle Paul writes in Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8 through 10, For it is by grace you have been saved, through faith. And this is not from yourselves. It is the gift of God, not by works. It's not by works that you've been saved, so that no one can boast. For we are God's handiwork, or God's workmanship, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. Basically, Paul gives three ingredients when it comes to salvation. You ever seen those three ingredient cookbooks? I love those cookbooks. I'm not a, a huge cooker. I, I grill a lot, but, but I really like those, those three ingredient cookbooks. They're really simple. And, and so Paul gives us basically a three ingredient, you know, three ingredients when it comes to, to our salvation. He says, look, you've been saved by grace. Make no mistake about it. It is a free gift of God. You have been saved by grace. And it's not about what you do. It's, it, that, that has nothing to do with how, you, how your salvation has been given to you. That's not what saves you. It's about what's been done for you that saves you. And so we've been saved by grace, and it's through faith. We have to accept God's grace in our lives, and we do that by, by putting our faith in Jesus Christ and being buried with him in baptism and trusting him for our salvation. But then in verse 10, he, he ends by saying to do good works. You've been saved by grace through faith to do good works. Now, if you take any of those three things out of the recipe, so to speak, then it doesn't work right. Yes, we are saved by grace through faith, but if there's no good works, then there's no evidence that you've been saved by grace through faith. The evidence that you've been saved by grace through faith is the good works. When that's taken out of the equation, it doesn't add up. So there's this, this balance, this pendulum of faith that, that we need to keep in check. And James is going to write to help us find that balance. So, so let me give you a few things from this passage that James tells us about a faith that works. And the first is this. A faith that works is more than just words. A faith that works is more than just words. Look at James chapter 2, starting in verse 14. James writes, What good is it, my brothers and sisters, if someone claims to have faith but has no deeds? Can such a faith save them? So James says, if, if you say the right words, is that enough? You know, as, long as, I, as, I, as long as I claim to believe the right things, that's enough, right? And James says, no, it, it just can't be what you say. Faith is more than just what I say with my lips and what comes out of my mouth. You can claim to be a Christian. You, you can talk a pretty good game, but that doesn't necessarily mean that you have a genuine 
faith. I think about when I'm officiating a wedding for a couple and, and the bride and groom are, are, are exchanging vows and they look into each other's eyes and with deep passion and emotion they say these words, they, sp- they speak these vows, they say for better or worse, for richer or poorer, in sickness and in health. And I'm standing right next to them. I mean, I've been through premarital counseling with them. I know they mean those words, but months or perhaps years later, maybe he loses a job or maybe she has some health problems or maybe there's some other tragedy or trial that they have to face. That's when you find out whether they really meant those words or if those words were just words. And if they're just words, what good is that? Someone may stand in in the baptistry and and they may say, they may claim, I believe that Jesus is the Christ, the son of the living God. And that's great. The Bible says we should confess with our mouths that Jesus is the Christ, the son of the living God. We should tell others about it and proclaim it. But what good is that confession if it doesn't truly affect our lives moving forward? What good is if good, good are those words if it doesn't truly make a difference in how we live and the choices that we make and how we treat other people and, and how we you know, share the message of Jesus Christ with other people and reach out to them? What good is it? If it's just words, if all it is is just talking a good game, that's not really faith. And James says, look, be careful that you don't mistake words for faith. Faith is more than just saying the right things. The question is, is there something to back those words up? Here's the second thing that James says about a faith that works. A faith that works is more than just feelings. A faith that works is more than just feelings. James continues in verse 15. He says, suppose a brother or sister is without clothes and daily food. If one of you says to them, go in peace, keep warm and well fed, but does nothing about their physical needs, what good is that? James says, if you know someone in your life who's struggling or hurting and you can do something to help them and you say, you know, go in peace, you know, know, bless you, I'll be praying for you. If you can do something about it and you say those words, but then you do nothing to help them, what good are those words and those feelings? And maybe they come, maybe they even come from a very sincere heart. Maybe you really do feel bad for their situation and what they're going through. But the question isn't really how do we feel? The question is what do we do? Here's what I think happens for a lot of us as Christians. We confuse our feelings for faith. And we let ourselves off the hook because because we feel the right way. And we kind of pat ourselves on the back because when, when somebody's going through a difficult time, we might feel some emotion about them you know, about their situation. We might feel compassion towards them, but the question is, do we do anything? And James wants us to understand that a faith that works is more than just what I feel. Your feelings are not faith until those feelings are expressed in action. You can feel sadness. You can feel compassion for people who are going through difficult times and hurting and struggling, but that's not faith until you do something. It's not how you feel, it's what you do with those feelings. In fact, James takes it even further. He says in verse 17, in the same way, faith by itself, if it's not accompanied by action, is dead. James says, look, you can can say that your faith is alive. You can feel like your faith is alive, but check the vital signs. 
If there's no action, if you can't point to to some evidence in your life, then your faith is not alive. It's dead. You can say all the right things. You can feel all the right emotions. And your faith may even look attractive on the outside. It may may look like a Mercedes faith. But if if there's no gas in the car, then it's not going anywhere. As James says, a faith without deeds, it's just a corpse. It's dead. But then in verse 18, he wants to make sure that we're not swinging the pendulum too far towards legalism, that we're not swinging the pendulum too far in that direction. James says, but someone will say, you have faith, I have deeds. James says, show me your faith without deeds, and I will show you my faith by my deeds. And so James comes up to this hypothetical person, the straw man, if you will, that's going to take it too far and basically say, yep, that's, I've been trying to say this, James. I've been trying to tell people it's, it's all about what you do. It's all about works. You take the, the faith you know, aspect, you take the faith path, I'll take the deeds path. If you want to know that you're going to heaven, then you got to work your way there. And James says, you know, he's just making sure that we keep things in check. He's making sure that the, that the pendulum doesn't swing too far in, in, in that direction towards legalism. You, you know, it's interesting though. If you were to ask people, are you going to heaven? You know, if you die today, would you go to heaven? A lot of people would say, a lot of Christians would say, yeah, I, I think I would go to heaven. But then if you were to ask them, well, why? Why would you go to heaven? The overwhelming majority would respond with something like, well, because I've done this or that, or I haven't done this or that. In other words, they point to their good works. They point to their life. They will essentially think of their life as this balance of good and bad. And as long as the good outweighs the bad, then they're in. And James wants wants to be clear that while a faith that works or a faith without works is dead, we are not saved by our works. We are saved by grace through faith. In Jesus Christ. That's how we are saved, which propels us then on to do good works. Here's another thing that James says, though, when it comes to a faith that works that he gives us. A faith that works is more than just knowledge. Faith that works is more than just what I say. It's more than just what I feel. And a faith that works is also more than just knowledge. Continuing in verse 19, James says, you believe that there is one God. Good. Even the demons believe that and shudder. James says, you you put your confidence over here in your belief, but he says, look, even the demons, even the demons believe. In other words, faith is more than than just what I intellectually know. Faith is more than just this this mental belief. And and a lot of us can put our our confidence in our intellectual knowledge. We put our confidence in, in our belief and we think, well, because I know this and this and this about Jesus, and that means that I have Faith. And James says, look, don't, don't confuse your collection of commentaries. Don't confuse your, your biblical knowledge. Don't confuse your understanding of Scripture with faith. Faith is more than just intellectual knowledge. It's more than just this mental belief. I like what D.L. Moody once said. He said, the Bible wasn't given to impart information, but to bring about transformation. Let me say that again, because I love that. The Bible wasn't given to impart information, but to bring about transformation. It's meant to change us. It's meant to change you. It's not really the information. It's the, it's the application of it. You can read it. You can memorize it. You can highlight it. You can talk about it. You can do all those things as much as you want. 
But until you put it into practice, it's not really going to do any good. You can have all the right information, but if you're not living it out, it doesn't really matter. You see, for most of us, our problem is not an information problem. For most of us, our problem is an application problem. It's not simply that we need more and more information. I'm not saying knowledge and information is bad, but it's not simply that we need more and more information and knowledge. It's that we need to take what we know and we need to live it out in our lives. It's not just something we say. It's not just something we feel. It's not just something that we're convinced of, but it's something that our life demonstrates, which leads me to the last thing from this passage about a faith that works, and it's this. While our faith is not determined by what we do, a faith that works is demonstrated by what we do. While it's not determined by what we do, our faith is not determined by what we do, a faith that works is demonstrated by what we do. And James gives us two examples of this, two examples of how faith without works is dead. Two examples, by the way, who are two very different examples, Abraham and Rahab. How different were they? Well, Abraham was a man, Rahab was a woman. Abraham was a Jew, uh, Rahab was a Gentile. Abraham was a patriarch, Rahab was a prostitute. Abraham was a somebody, Rahab was a nobody. Abraham is a major character in the Bible, Rahab is just a minor character. And I think James uses these illustrations to say it doesn't matter who you are as long as you have the most important thing. I mean, when you think about it, these two had nothing in common, really, except for one thing, their faith in God that led them to action. So first James talks about Abraham, verse 20, you foolish person, do you want evidence that faith without deeds is useless? Was not our father Abraham considered righteous for what he did when he offered his son Isaac on the altar? You see that his faith and his actions were working together. I love that part. His faith and his actions were working together and his faith was made complete by what he did. And the scripture was fulfilled that says Abraham believed God and it was credited to him as righteousness and he was called God's friend. You see that a person is considered righteous by what they do and not by faith alone. If you study this in scripture, you'll find that it's in Genesis chapter 22 where we read about what James is talking about here, where where, um, Abraham offers Isaac as a sacrifice, offers his son Isaac, and he is considered righteous for what he did. But it's in Genesis chapter 15 that he actually believes God. And so he believes God and it's credited, credited to him as righteousness. But when James talks about Abraham as a person of faith, he points to what he did. His belief was sincere. He believed in Genesis chapter 22, and that that belief was sincere, but there wasn't evidence of that until Genesis chapter 22. It's what he did that shows the evidence for his belief. Then there's Rahab, verse 25. In the same way, was not even Rahab the prostitute considered righteous for what she did when she gave lodging to the spies and sent them off in a different direction. And so James uses this this great patriarch of faith, Abraham, and he uses this Gentile woman, this Gentile prostitute named Rahab, who, by the way, both are mentioned in Hebrews chapter 11, which is this great passage, this hall of fame of faith. They're both there as people of faith. And he says, now, how do we know that these are people of faith? 
Why do we consider them to be people of faith? It wasn't because Abraham had this rich tradition. It wasn't because of the promises that God gave him. It was because of what he did. And the same is true for Rahab because she didn't have this rich tradition. She, she, she didn't have this, this rich tradition of, of, of faith. She, 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 was, she had a sinful past and she wasn't even part of the nation of Israel. But what she did, just like Abraham, showed her to be a person of faith. And then James ends this passage, this chapter with these words. Just as the body without the spirit is dead, so faith without deeds, is dead. There's an old question that goes something like this. If you were to be charged with being a Christian, would there be enough evidence to convict you? If you were charged with being a Christian, would there be enough evidence to convict you? And that's really what James is challenging us with. What's the evidence? What's the evidence for your faith. You might be able to say the right things. You might feel emotions associated with your faith. You might have all the right information and the right head knowledge about Jesus, but what's exhibit A? When, when people, you know, if people were to point to your life, what would they point to? What, what's the evidence of your faith, James says? Many years ago, there was a tightrope walker famous tightrope walker named George Blondin, who for a publicity stunt decided that he was going to walk on a tightrope. They were going to stretch a tightrope across the across Niagara Falls and he was going to walk across it from the American side to the Canadian side and back across. And so uh, they stretched this tightrope across Niagara Falls and thousands of people showed up both on, both on the American side and the Canadian side to see this unbelievable feat, to see what would happen. And as Blondin began to walk across, he stepped out on the tightrope and he began to walk across inch by inch, step by step. The crowd just held their breath, knowing that if he made one mistake, just one little slip up, he'd fall off the rope and into the falls and certainly fall to his death. But their anxious silence turned into uh, thundering applause as Blondin reached the other side and then he turned around and he made his way back across the uh, across the tightrope again with the crowd going crazy as he made it across again but he wasn't done he then proceeded to go back and forth several more times one time he took a chair out with him and sat halfway across one time he took out juggling pins and juggled all the way across one time he even took out a hot plate and cooked himself an omelet halfway across and with every trip, the crowd got louder and louder and louder. And then for the last trip, he ratcheted up one more notch. This time he brought out a wheelbarrow and he filled the wheelbarrow with about 150 pounds of sand. And he asked the people, do you think I can do this? Do you believe that I can take this wheelbarrow across this tightrope? And everybody cheered in unison. Yeah, we believe, we believe you can do it. Then Blondin said, well, okay, instead of sand, what if I put a person in this wheelbarrow? Do you believe that I can cross Niagara Falls with a person in this wheelbarrow? And again, the crowd shouted, yeah, we believe, we believe you can do it. And then Blondin said, okay, now, who wants to climb in the wheelbarrow? Who wants to get in? You see, a lot of people shouted. They said, we believe, we believe you can do it. But how many of them wanted to get in the wheelbarrow? And I wonder really, if our faith were put to the test like that, 
what would we find? I know a lot of us say the right things. We feel the right way. We've got the right information. And I'm not saying those are bad things. Those are good things. But who's willing to get in the wheelbarrow? Who's willing to put their faith into action? You know, the effectiveness of a message like this, and really any message for that matter, is not what you learn, not even what you write down, right? But it's what you do with it. What are you going to do with it this afternoon? Who are you going to be tomorrow? Don't just say it. Don't just feel it. Don't just think it, but live it. Because faith without action is dead.